Titan spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 218th annual Subliminal Obsession Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit. My name is Cody from my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Um, I want to ask you something here. Do you remember us playing the awesome game Left for Dead? Yes. Yep. Okay. So, ironically enough, on YouTube, I saw this guy and he was trying to beat every single chapter or whatever you call episode on like the hardest difficulty with just the robot or the computers uh, as the other players and I gotta say it was quite funny watching this man die repeatedly to <laughs> stupid shit <laughs> and that did he did he die? I have to ask. Did he die because he tried to go back and save the old man who basically <laughs> always caused chaos or no matter where he went? Dude, it was funny because you're watching him. And most of the time when he's towards the end, it's like, okay, uh, I'm going to sacrifice all you guys. <laughs> just get out of here. <laughs> Let the zombies all kill them. And I'm just going to get out of here safely. Uh, you remember the tanks? Yes. So... When you, I guess when you play it on that hard, like when they throw rocks, it doesn't matter where you are. It's like a heat sinking missile. So it was really funny to watch this like boulder is he moved out of the way and it would like veer right towards him and kill him. It was uh, it was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> I miss that the game. Put some spin on it. Yeah, I miss that game. That game is awesome. Yeah, it was a great game. No, it's it's always funny what uh, the other characters would say. To, I believe his name was Frank. Oh, Fra looks like there's stairs. Sorry, Frank. <laughs> I think Frank, was he the old man? Yes. I, I believe his name was Frank. I haven't played it in a solid decade, but I believe his name was Frank. Yeah, I wish they'd make a new one, but uh, I don't think Steam's going to be making games anytime soon. Yeah, I had uh, I had one funny thing happen to me. So I actually did uh, donate a little bit of money to a church. Ooh. It was uh, kind of against my will. So I went to a Chipotle and there was some uh, some guys outside out front of the Chipotle, you know, kind of talking to people. They had a little table set up. And I did the thing where I came in from the side and just went straight for the door. Yeah, um, is they kind of cornered me when Ooh. I came out and Honestly, I mean, normally if if they didn't look like they were maybe possibly fresh out of jail, uh, some dudes with tattoos and, you know, kind of doing the reformed type shit where like talking about and basically what I did right away when I noticed that I wouldn't be able to get away immediately pulled out my wallet. And when I pulled out my wallet, so I keep uh, I, I keep like three twenties and a hundred kind of in my wallet for emergency situations. So when I pulled out my wallet and opened it up, the guy went, Oh, Ooh, you know, <laughs> when he saw the, all the money. Yeah. But then in the back, I keep the like $1 bills and I pulled two $1 bills out. I was like, 
I already heard the spiel when I walked in. Here you go. Merry Christmas. And then <laughs> just he's like, Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And I walked away. I was like, no problem. So what <laughs> like, what were they ra- they were just raising money for the church? Some church. I don't okay. know. Might have been fake. Who knows? But I didn't stick around to ask. Just trying to get your Chipotle and get the fuck out of there. Yes, exactly. The problem with Chipotle is uh, some Chipotles have a back door. If it would have been the other Chipotle that I go to that's in a strip mall, I would have went out the back and then walked around to my car. This one, it's one way in, one way out. And they were counting on that Ah. because they were getting people coming out with their fucking $40 bag of Chipotle. So (laughs) Here's what I'd recommend for the future and for listeners if you need advice. Number one. This would be my number one option would be wait till let somebody walk out in front of you and then they will be distracted by the people sneak around them or just uh, run at a high rate of speed like dash to your fucking car like who's Usain Bolt like do not look back and they won't be able to talk to you fast enough. Oh, sorry. I got to take a shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or no, no, no. Pretend you're on your phone and you have an emergency and then run out there what she's going into labor yeah. right now oh. <laughs> just walk right past them it's funny because i'll see like there'll be homeless people in like the you know target or grocery store parking lots and just don't know just a a wide array of different types of homeless people uh, you know older people people with fake canes and walkers you know the veterans who you know just holding up signs looking sad all of that shit and i will just sorry don't have any cash and just walk right past them but for some reason people who like don't need the money or they're don't like they're asking for it for someone else i'm more willing to give it to them it's kind of weird yeah but in my mind at least they're being honest and being like we're we're, we're collecting money for blah, blah, blah. Even though they might it might be a scam, they're gathering it for themselves. I just always assume that if I see a homeless person, it's just a scam. Because I'll, I'll assume if I stick around long enough, I'll see them answering their phone or texting <laughs> or doing something. And it'll be a nicer phone than I have. If I stick around even longer, they'll get in a car that's a nicer car than I have. If I followed them home, it'd be a nicer place than I live. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. I always assume that they don't really need it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not not bad to do. Uh, I think your deep Catholic indoctrination reared its head in this in this case, and you felt compelled to give these folks some money. They rang the bell before the fucking yeah. plate comes around. Yeah, there's probably some sort of like Pavlov like trigger that they've instilled in our heads from Catholic school and like there's a certain noise and you can't help yourself but give them money. There's a certain frequency yeah. that they use and yeah. all of a sudden your wallet just opens up and you don't know what's <laughs> going on. Possibly, yeah. All right, Phil. Are you ready to get on to this week's episode? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. On this week's installment of Sub D, we will be discussing one of the most infamous unsolved crimes... In American history, a murder that surely most of our fans have heard of, the sheer brutality of it ca- has captivated people for over 60 years. In fact, one of my favorite death metal bands named their group after this case. Uh, today, we will be talking about what has become known as the Black Dahlia murder. Now, I'm going to assume you are familiar with this. 
Yes, definitely. I've heard of it. Okay. Um, so uh, we do have a little trip planned, right? And um, yep. I know there they have a museum of death, which I've been to in LA. And they had a full wall of the, uh, I guess, would you say crime photos from the Black Dahlia murder? And I got to say, it's weird to see somebody cut in half. Yes. Yeah. Was it was it set up as if it was like a police investigation corkboard type situation from that era? No, they're just like giant photos of the crime scene, I guess. You know, after it happened, after they found it um, and stuff like that, which obviously we're going to go into detail about on today's episode. It was just like the Muse- Museum of Death is kind of interesting. It's just there's a lot of serial killer stuff, cult stuff. Just random, creepy dead people photos. It's uh, it's an interesting place. Okay, so it was more museum style. I yeah. am kind of kind of interested. We haven't really hit true crime in a while. It is besides horror movies. It is kind of your bread and butter. Yeah, like your, it's in yeah. that center of your <laughs> expertise. So the uh, all the macabre stuff. Uh, mm. it was funny. I don't know if you've ever ran into this. I <laughs> I was talking to someone today. And we were talking about something, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's it's, it's dark humor. And I'm, like, kind of looking around. I'm like, I, maybe we're just so fucked up at this point. I'm like, I, it doesn't feel dark enough to be considered dark humor. You know what I mean? It is kind of funny when you make, like, a little bit of an offhand comment or joke at work, and everyone's like, oh, well, I don't know about that, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I was just joking. And they're like, well, why would you joke about this? I'm yeah. like, kind of... <laughs> kind of who my you know my avatar here at work doesn't really you know yeah you know, i only only let that uh out of my skin every once in a while i suppose but <laughs> you gotta they, they aren't expecting it you gotta you gotta really know your company definitely yeah <laughs> no uh know your setting know your yeah. audience that's yeah absolutely yeah. now the young woman we will be mostly focusing on today was named elizabeth short which after uh, her death, she will be referred to as the Black Dahlia. And I actually think this, <laughs> more people know her as the Black Dahlia than they know her actual name is Elizabeth Short, which tends to happen in true crime. But uh, we'll kind of go into how this nickname came about later in the episode. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th, 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts. Her parents were Cleo Alvin Short Jr. and Phoebe May Sawyer. She was the third born of five daughters, and her father ran a successful business building miniature golf courses. When I read this, Bill, I, I tell me if I'm crazy. I didn't even envision they had mini golf courses in the t- whatever 20s, 30s. No, not really. I mean, it's they had golf back then, but I kind of think of it more as like on TV, like coming with the age of like television. I guess people were playing it like way back when in Scotland, but uh, maybe it just kind of started popping up back in, you know, the early like kind of like there was a lot of entertainment shit that started popping up in like the 10s and 20s like movie theaters kind of became huge there was a lot of stuff so maybe this is kind of like when those were born 
Like it was a, a, a new industry almost. Well, I wonder if it was actually a mini golf course or if it was like the trick mini golf that we think of today. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know about uh, if there was like the windmill and all of that, like the spiral and <laughs> the shit. laughing clown, some of the, some of the stuff we have in mini golf course today. Yeah, basically everything to piss you off is I, a mini golf course is essentially designed to piss you off. That's the yeah. sole purpose of it. The easiest way to ruin a date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to get a get to know your date really well, take a mini golfing because. You'll either see they're really mean or they're pretty chill. There's no in-between there. See how they do with uh, quadruple bogey on a par three. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as I mentioned, her father, Cleo, built miniature golf courses and had some success with it. But it seems like this is not the type of business that could withstand the 1929 Mm. stock market crash. So... Unfortunately, the mini golf business took a hit as well. That same year, when the crash occurred, all the money that Clio has slowly built up just kind of rapidly dissipated. That same year, Clio's car would be found parked near the Charleston Bridge in Boston, making it appear as if he had had enough of life and just jumped to his death. But seeing as he will be very much alive later in the story, it is widely believed that Cleo had decided to fake his own death and <laughs> run away from his family, which uh, a strange decision for a mini golf man, Phil. The old Irish goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, holy fuck. Gee. I mean, you could do this back then. You, you're you going to have a little bit tougher time doing this nowadays. Oh, definitely. We talk about, um, oh, in the past, we've talked about how easy it was. Um, if you ever listen to Small Town Murder, how easy it is just for like serial killers to just change their identity by taking an eraser to their ID and then erasing out their name and just writing a new one in. And now all of a sudden, new town, new person. Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm not Cleo. I'm Leo. <laughs> that kind of shit. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, Cleo, I don't know if I've ever heard of a man named Cleo before. Yeah, I wonder what his name is short for. <laughs> Cleo <laughs> is, is a, that's usually a chick's name. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, maybe in the 20s, early 1900s, it meant something different. Maybe it's like Cleo or something is like the pronunciation. Cleo, Kileo, I don't know. Cileo, I don't know. It's Italian and it's actually. Yeah. <laughs> Cleo. My name's Cleo. It's actually like Clow or something yeah, like Cla- that. Hey. Short for Claudius. Hey, it could be. It could. Her mom's name, Phoebe, too. It always drives me nuts because when you see Phoebe, it's never. It's in my mind, it never registers as Phoebe. It looks like Phoebe. You know what I mean? Oh, whenever I try to spell the name, whenever I try to spell the city uh, Phoenix out, I always, in my mind, say phonics. Phonics. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I know that the O is before the E, that sort of shit. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's good. Now, after Cleo had abandoned his family, Phoebe May was an unemployed stay-at-home mom, you know, when they had the family unit there. 
Unsurprisingly, uh, she would find it quite difficult to be unemployed and take care of five daughters financially. So Phoebe May was forced to sell the home and move all five of her daughters into, into a cramped small apartment. Phoebe May would work as a bookkeeper to support all of her daughters. If life hadn't been hard enough for Elizabeth up to this point, she also suffered from severe asthma, uh, asthma attacks and chronic bronchitis throughout her young life. At the age of 15, it had gotten so bad that she had to undergo some sort of lung surgery. We're not really sure what, but for the late 1930s, I cannot imagine a lung surgery was a good time. No, at least by that point, hopefully they're no they know that they need to disinfect yeah. their utensils <laughs> yeah. and all that. So I mean at that point, it's if it was the eighteen thirties, I doubt we'd be talking about her murder or her at all. Um but God I was trying to think of like what the treatment is in the thirties for severe bronchitis. They probably had you in some kind of chamber, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for a for a short period of time during the day or something like that. Yeah, I don't even know what they would do to her lung. Maybe one of her lungs was deflated, maybe? I I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know what they would do. Probably uh, when her parents hit hard times, maybe she had a flu and she caught one of those uh, snake oils that we talked <laughs> about before. What was that? Mrs. Montgomery's yeah. soothing syrup or yeah. something like that? Yeah, the heroin. That sounds like it would deflate a lung. Yeah, the fucking heroin. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> that was some wild shit, man. Now, after the successful surgery, as with the belief system of the time, Elizabeth's doctors recommended that she live in a warmer climate and it would prevent her from having any respiratory problems in the future. Seeing as Boston is cold as hell during the winter, Elizabeth would spend her winters with her family in Florida. Moreover, Will Smith's favorite city in the United States, Miami. Sadly, though, Elizabeth Short would decide to drop out of high school as a sophomore in 1940. She's had enough of fucking school. She ain't got time for that bullshit. I'm going to say a few things about this right now. Miami in the 40s, not the city we think of today. No, no, <laughs> not no, at no. all. Not at all. Also, decided to drop out at 16. Yeah, you learn everything you need to know by kindergarten, <laughs> pretty much. Well, so especially in this time. Yeah. Um, yep. Okay, correct you're me. You're probably if, good by eighth grade. So correct me if I'm wrong. Miami, much different, right? But. Yep. Still a Cuban city, I believe, during this time. Because Cuba and Ooh. the United States, I think, were, we'll say allies. I'm, like, air quoting here. You know, friendly, on friendly terms. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so, yes. Uh, 1940s would have been, ooh, was that when Batista was in power yet or pre? But pretty much Cuba was kind of like the 51st state. Almost there was actually a lot of kind of pushes throughout um, that time period to get Cuba kind of annexed yeah. as like the next state. And that had been going on for like 100 years before this. This is all pre, you know, communism, take communist takeover, that sort of stuff. Uh, there was definitely a lot of Americans living in Cuba, American businessmen kind of taking advantage of. Yeah. It's almost like a colonial system they had going a lot of American stake in Cuba. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, and I'm pretty sure from that documentary I watched, it was like they would allow free travel. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think Castro came into power until the mid 50s, I believe, if I remember. Er, right. Like, yeah, it's it's so the whole war is going on, I believe. Don't quote me on this. I don't have it in front of me. During the 50s, it's going on. So um, he takes power before JFK gets in there. Yeah. And yeah, that's 1960. I, so. I, I feel like 1958 sticks out in my head, but don't yes. quote me on that. There I, were years of war and yeah. um, before that, Batista, the regime was not very good to Cubans uh, kind of favoring you know, foreign business people over Cubans, that yeah. sort of thing. Kind of the, the normal like colonialism straight to communism situation that yeah. happened a lot back then. So Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a whole thing. And as I've mentioned in previous episodes, that documentary on Netflix about Cuba is pretty good. I did enjoy it thoroughly. Now, in nineteen forty two, Elizabeth and her family would receive a letter that they surely were not expecting to receive. It was a letter from their allegedly dead father, Cleo, saying he was deeply sorry that he had faked his own death and he he wanted to make amends and he was hoping they would all forgive him. As no surprise, the family wasn't exactly thrilled with the revelations of Cleo's survival. Elizabeth was the only one who wanted to reconnect with her dad and it there was added plus because... Her father was residing in Vallejo, California, which is the perfect climate for her respiratory problems. Okay, mm. can you imagine receiving a letter from your dad that you now... Pro- okay, I don't know exactly how long it is, but they think he's been dead, let's just say, 12 years at least now. <laughs> and you just get a letter from my dad like, hey, what's, what's going on? I missed my family. <laughs> <laughs> so funny story <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah because it was uh what 1920 29 oh, it 30 in, it was 1929 or 30 or whatever yeah and yeah now it's in the 40s yeah so definitely it's been a minute yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> it reminds me of uh the water boy when uh, his dad comes back, yeah. When he gets, and it turns out his dad's a total asshole. Yeah, when his dad get or when he gets famous, right, from playing football, yep. then his dad magically shows up. You're gonna go pro. We're gonna make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it. I don't know. There was a lot of people. What is this? This is like during the war. So kind of the place to make money was everywhere, like but California. There was a. There was like four people who are like working class. You could kind of find jobs all over the country in 1942 because we were pumping out like, you know, war. The war machine was pumping shit out everywhere. So there's a lot of different places to find a good job. Um, I do know that kind of like Hollywood, like the glitz and shit was really starting to fire up um, maybe after the after the war. I think a lot of it like came back around. Um, a lot of Hollywood was either they were making a lot of propaganda, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure California in the naval yards, there's a lot of jobs, which her dad does work at in a naval oh, yard in the San definitely. Francisco Bay. So that's what he was doing. 
by the end of the war, we were pumping out a fucking aircraft carrier. I think once every like couple months. It was it was insane. Yeah, the, the level of production in the Navy. Um, but yeah, that would be a really good job to have back then. Um, I <laughs> what a dick though. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm finally, I'm finally res- a respectable man with a good job. So, all right, family, everyone, everyone come back around. Like as they've been struggling their asses off fucking a stay at home mom who has to get a job with five fucking kids. You know, I, and- I didn't include it in my notes, but, um, her father wouldn't even come identify her body after she was dead. So yeah, he's he's not the coolest dad ever. Yeah, I wonder it. I wonder if he was some kind of also like a con man, just not a very good one. Like those golf courses that he made, the mini golf yeah. courses were just kind of shittily made. Something like that. That's why he had to leave. He could Get be the fuck out of there. He could be. Um, we don't know a whole lot about him, but. Uh, yeah, outside of faking his own death. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, the family ran him out of Boston. Yeah, he uh, like you said, an Irish goodbye that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But getting kind of about uh, moving to California for the dry air and the wet. Uh, like we were saying, there really wasn't much you could do for people with respiratory problems. There was a lot of people you kind of read about who we've mentioned it a few times before moved to Arizona just for the extremely dry climate and kind of like uh, that sort of shit to get away from the, you know, the water in the air. The weird thing is moving to the coast of California, The if you live on the coast side, it's very wet. I don't know if Vallejo is actually on the coast. Um, I think if you live kind of on the other side, it's very dry. So I wonder where Vallejo is, but. I'm not sure. It couldn't have been too far if he worked in the San Francisco Bay. In the ports. Yeah, it couldn't have been too far. Gotcha. But uh, anyway, continuing on here. Now, the next section, I've noticed when I was doing this, there's multiple websites will give slightly different accounts. We've ran into this before, but ultimately it's not that big of a deal, but... I'll let you know what the differences are here. So at the time she arrived in California, it was December and Elizabeth was about 18 years old at this point. The living situation between Cleo and Elizabeth didn't even make it two months before arguments had gotten so bad that Cleo kicked her out of the house because he was mad she was not home every single night. Mm. Around the same time, Elizabeth was working at the base exchange at Camp Cook, which is now apparently Vandenberg Space Force Base in Lompoc. I don't know, is Lompoc or Lompoc? Lompoc? One of the two. It is believed that after she moved out of her father's place, she moved in with U.S. Air Force Sergeant who apparently regularly abused her. So it must have been a abusive boyfriend of some kind. We don't really know. I don't think we know the sergeant's name, Mm. but it's believed that she left her dad and moved in with this guy. The thing about Elizabeth is we're not, she seems to have a lot of male friends. Okay. I'm that's not saying anything, but it seems like she has constant boyfriends. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of, I'm going to, 
uh, we'll start off from the beginning. So she moved in with her dad when yeah. she was 18 and hasn't yeah. seen him since she was probably what, like seven or eight, something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's kind of funny how he's always bitching that she's never home <laughs> when he hasn't been a father to her at all. Like I, uh... They're more roommates than, you know, father, daughter type situation he's kicking and he kicks her out yeah it's a funny that it's funny that he didn't just like park his car by the dock (laughs) and move out you know move somewhere else well the thing is is like an 18 year old they want to go out and hang out with their friends like i don't (laughs) oh yeah and i'm sure her dad was like the old guard where it's like a young lady needs to be home every night and not talking to boys and blah blah you know what i mean yeah, she was she was hanging in Miami for the past two years, not in school, just, you know, living her fucking life. And he wants her to, you know, be a good, you know, stay at home kid. But yeah, definitely. I will also say um, so Vandenberg is kind of famous now. Uh, people have been like people out in California. They've had videos up on Instagram of like the rockets and it kind of looks like a UFO. Uh, oh. Vandenberg's where a lot of the. um kind of like satellite like the military satellites are launched from they uh they launch a lot of rockets out there that's what vandenberg's kind of known for so cool. well that's why it's a space force base now well i mean obviously the air force didn't exist at this point am i i'm right about that correct um it would have been it depends what year is this is still in the early 40s 42 43 yeah air force didn't exist yet it would have been uh army air yeah so, yeah, U.S. Army Air Force Sergeant or Air Corps Sergeant, one of the two there. Yeah, still a part of the Army. So, but it's, let's see, she worked at the BX. That's a, that's a, that's a, a lot of like dependents can work on, like, will work at base exchanges. That's kind of like a base exchange is basically like the grocery store or the yeah. kind of like the mall on base. That's what they're they're known for now. So people who aren't in the military, that's base exchange, the BX. So, so could she work there if her just her boyfriend was a sergeant? Well, all you have to do is apply. You're just a civilian ah, you know, with okay. a government job. It's a government job for you know civilians, but it's a lot of dependents who work at those uh, those jobs, those on-base jobs. She might have worked there and then met this guy too. So I, you know what I mean. So, I oh, know. definitely, she met a lot of people working that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Everyone goes there. Yep. Yeah. Base. Yeah. So, kind of the how this continues on here is eventually Elizabeth moved out of the sergeant's place and then moved into her own place in Santa Barbara in 1943. Uh, Elizabeth would find herself in trouble with the law when on September 23rd, 1943, she was busted for drinking at a local bar while underage. Uh, The authorities arrested her and just bought her a train ticket and shipped her ass back back to Medford, Massachusetts, where mom lived. Um, This is kind of a famous mugshot of her. uh, And Mm -hmm. this is her when she got arrested for drinking underage at a bar which i was a little confused of because was what was the drinking age back then wasn't it 18 
I thought it was like 18, 1943. I thought it was just whenever you felt like yeah. <laughs> to drink you, you know, um, I don't know about California and the laws were a little bit different for, I believe like men and women, it was different. Ah, um, if, okay. So it's one of those situations where, um, yeah, like after prohibition, the laws kind of were a little bit weird. It was like a state to state thing. So I have no idea what the laws were like in California. It was not a national 21. Okay. Like there were some states you could drink at like 16. Some dr- some states were completely fucking dry still. So who knows? You know? Oh, okay. Um, This is interesting because I bet it, my initial thought was either maybe the drinking age is 18, but you weren't allowed to drink in a bar until a certain age, or maybe like you said, as a woman, you weren't allowed to drink at a certain age or weren't allowed to drink in a bar or something like that. Some weird ass law. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to like disparage or, you know, bring up some wild accusation thing, like putting someone's ass on a train. Like she's 19 ish, 20 ish at this time, putting someone's ass on a train and telling them to leave town just for drinking in a bar. I wonder if they maybe thought she was like a prostitute or something like that. Well, that's a little, that's a little, little hefty for, could you yeah. imagine like getting thrown in the drunk tank? And then all of a sudden they're like, we decided you're going home, like <laughs> home, home back to Boston. I, you know, you know it, I mean, it, I should say this. It could be, entirely possible that they got the ages mixed up a little bit maybe she was 17 almost 18 it's hard to say um so because in 1947 when the murder happens she's like 22 23 years old so 1942 43 she should be 18 right yeah yeah she should be around 18 okay so yeah, maybe maybe they thought or maybe she was claiming to be. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, it is on that line, though. Yeah. So I don't know what the laws in well, California at that time were. I should say, too, about the prostitution thing. That is a very big point of contention for her. Mm. If she was a sex worker or if she was not. We don't know either way. Some people think she was. Some people think she wasn't. So okay, it's uh, you know what I'm saying. It's like maybe we will never know, but um, it is a point of contention. Gotcha. Yeah, I've never. I mean, I've obviously heard of it. I don't know the like. I don't know down to the bones of the case. I know that basically there was a woman that they found. Uh, brutally murdered in Hollywood and because it was kind of a all I really know about it that it was kind of a big big story because of how she was found and where she was found it was kind of like a the tinsel town type situation yeah, yeah that yeah you know what the other thing I think I thought was interesting about this and I I don't really talk about it in the episode but there's a lot of things that people say like oh, she was a aspiring actress or something like that or trying to break through with Hollywood. But every piece of information, it doesn't really seem like that's the case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, well, 
there's so much of like a stigma for young women who moved to Hollywood. Yeah. I think even back then it was kind of the same situation where if you like if a young woman who was pretty moved to L.A., they assumed she was trying to break into acting because that was yeah. kind of like the big thing at the time. So, yeah, I mean, maybe she was, but still is. So, but. yeah, it so but we'll like I said, we'll uh, we'll never know. There's a lot of like we just don't know type of things. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, anyhow, anyway, continuing back here. So, as I said, she shipped back to Boston. She's living with her mom again. But she, during the wintertime, she is going to Florida. So when she went back to Florida, she met a Florida man named Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., an Army Air Force officer of the 2nd Air Commando Group. Like you said, keep in mind, World War II is still raging on at this point. Michael would be deployed to the Southeast Asian Theater. Elizabeth claimed that Michael at some point was recovering from a plane crash in India, and he decided to send her a letter proposing marriage, and Elizabeth Short gleefully accepted. Tragically, though, Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. wouldn't get the chance to actually physically marry Elizabeth because on August 10th, 1945, he would die in another plane crash. And for, I think, the Japan officially surrendered on September 2nd. So this guy died just before the war was going to be over. Yeah, just like a couple weeks before. I'm trying to remember when the bomb was dropped, but it was coming. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, is it... I don't want to sound mean again. Is it is it confirmed that he was a real human being? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, yeah. They, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. They, so they, this wasn't just. Uh, they have pictures of him together and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. The the proposal thing, we don't know. But um, clearly she was dating him for a while. If she got sent back in 43, met this guy. He was uh, in the military service, obviously. And then he proposed to her. I don't know how you survived the first plane crash, but he did somehow. <laughs> but he did not survive the second one. Yeah, it's a uh, run of bad luck, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they probably should have just discharged him after the first crash and not, like, send him out on <laughs> another mission. <laughs> the moment he hobbles out of the hospital, they throw him back up in the plane. Yeah, it's... <sighs> Maybe he faked his own death, too, to get out of uh, a marriage. I don't know. Could be. But yeah. uh, <laughs> heard, he heard about how her her dad got away. And yeah. Like, oh, good idea. <laughs> oh, shit. This war thing's almost over. Like while he's back in Florida, like dodging her <laughs> quick. <laughs> send her a quick uh, send her a quick wire telling her I'm uh, taken out. <laughs> the Japanese got me. <laughs> It'd be a very Florida man thing to do, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Now, after the death of her fiancé, Elizabeth decided to give California another shot. Sources claim she initially went to Los Angeles to visit a friend named Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling, who was stationed at Naval Reserve Air Base in Long Beach, At some point, Elizabeth would rent a room in Hollywood. Her room was located behind a nightclub known as Florentine Gardens, 
which I can only imagine was extremely loud and obnoxious when you're trying to sleep. So basically she got this room because the owner's girlfriend was her friend. And the owner of this club will become very important in the suspect aspect of this. Yeah, uh, especially during this time, uh, you know, a lot of shady characters are owner operators, that type of deal of nightclubs. So, yeah, um, organized crime, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, God, what was the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald's name? Like Jack, Jack Ruby. Ruby. That kind of a guy. Yeah, ja- a Jack Ruby type character <laughs> right now. Did he own some nightclubs? Yeah, he was. Uh, he he ran strip club. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? That whole thing. I obviously will one of one day we'll cover it. But that whole scenario still to this day makes zero sense to me. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's <laughs> very much. It was all a show. Yeah. Everything was put right out there for everyone to see. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's uh, just him deciding. Hey, I'm gonna go kill Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay. All right, Jack Ruby, whatever whatever you say. I didn't want I didn't want poor Jacqueline to have to go through that trial. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the weirdest reason. Yeah. All right, Jack Ruby. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, at some point around this time, this is re- this is another point of a lot of contention, okay? Mm. Elizabeth started quote unquote dating a apparently pipe salesman, I guess that's what he was, named Robert Red Manley. The unique thing about Red was that he was actually married and had a wife at home who was also pregnant. It's a little confusing, but Red claims that Elizabeth and he, although were somewhat dating, They never had sex, but they did kiss a few times, and I kind of find that whole thing a little hard to believe. Some some sources make it sound like Elizabeth had temporarily moved to San Diego, then she met this red guy. We do know the red guy lives in San Diego. Somehow she met him. I don't know if she lived there for a little bit, or she just met him there or something, um, but in January of 1947, Red or Elizabeth asked Red to drive her to Hollywood, and he agreed to. So on January 8th, 1947, he dropped her off at the Bitmore Hotel, where she claimed she was going to meet her sister at some point visiting from Boston. The story goes that her and Robert sat, just sat friendly in the hotel room for a few hours, waiting for her sister to show up. But she never showed up. Robert had to go. He left. And there's a a few witnesses saying that as he was leaving, Elizabeth was making a series of phone calls. But we don't know who she was calling, who she was talking to. But we know her sister never, or I should say, didn't show, nobody saw her sister show up. So this is kind of the last time we're ever going to see her alive. Gotcha. So, so they were sharing this hotel room, just kind of sitting there quietly. I'm sure they had a game of, of, of backgammon yeah, or chess or something Yeah, probably like that. Monopoly or something. Um, yeah. yeah, I... We, we were saying our prayers to pass the time. <laughs> yeah. First off, okay, San Diego to, let's just even say LA, it's not that far of a drive, probably especially during this time. 
um, with a lot less traffic. But still, if some guy is just going to, on a whim, drive you to this hotel, he's going to hang out with you for several hours. um, And then she's just calling all these people, but we don't know who the fuck she's calling. We're not really sure if her sister showed up or didn't show up. I'm not really clear on that, but... Basically, this is the last time anybody ever saw her alive. Okay. Nowadays, we might call a guy like that a simp, basically. <laughs> like, if if this story is true that, oh, no, we just, we just kissed a few times. We never really did much, blah, blah, blah. Like, he might have been financing her life a little bit. Ah, and, sugar you know, daddy. Sugar daddy a little bit, you know, running errands, doing little things for her. You know, that kind of thing. I'm speculating, obviously. But nowadays, if I heard there was a dude who drove a chick from San Diego to L.A. and just kind of hung out in a hotel room and they didn't, you know, do anything, you know, and then he just kind of left and whatever. I would assume that, you know, obviously, I would assume that they were either obviously buying or that he was hoping for, you know, some future favors if he did a bunch of favors for her. That's what yeah. I'm saying. If you ask me, I think personally he was cheating on his wife with yeah. Elizabeth. Um, yeah, I don't. What do you even tell your wife? Hey, I'm going to dr- drive this strange girl to Hollywood. Like the, 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 the wife doesn't be like, uh, what? You're going to be gone Gee, for wh- five hours to drive her to Hollywood? Gee whiz, I hope my wife doesn't find out that I drove you to Hollywood. (laughs) The biggest story of fucking crime ever to happen in that city. Yeah. (laughs) Has you involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. We were just, we were just in the hotel room for a few hours, just hanging out. (laughs) Wait, wait till you hear, uh, once we get to the suspects, his alibi for this night, it's It'll probably make you cringe a little more, honestly. So, okay. Now, at this point, after Elizabeth disappears, it is eight days until they find her. So, we don't know what transpired within those eight days. But around 10 a.m. on January 15th, 1947, a mother and her child were out on their morning walk in the Lamert Park neighborhood in southern Los Angeles. Now, at the time, It was pretty much nothing more than vacant lots or buildings that were under construction. It was pretty much a no man's land. Mm -hmm. The the mother said that she noticed something weird in the grass just off the sidewalk, which she first thought was nothing more than a mannequin, but soon learned it most certainly was not a mannequin. Laying on the grass was the body of 22-year-old Elizabeth Short. It was an absolutely ghastly sight. Elizabeth's body had been completely severed in half at her waist, and both pieces of her body were spaced about a foot apart. Her organs had been completely removed, and they were set underneath her buttocks. Pieces of her flesh from her thighs and breasts had been cut off, and she had been given a Glasgow smile, meaning essentially the killer cut from her ears to her mouth to make it appear like she had a humongous uh, humongous smile. Now, as someone who, you know, you've delved in some t- true crime, right? Yeah. When you hear the brutality of this, does this not sound like somebody really hated her? 
Um, I don't know. So here's the thing about what I kind of learned about serial killers. Uh, this is obviously a presentation. Yeah. This is as much of a presentation as you can get. Um, this is not a first timer. No, I believe I don't know if this I don't know. I'm going to say man, obviously. I don't know. Is <laughs> serial killer. I don't know if this serial killer hates her or hates women is more. Yeah. I would say hates like, women like maybe she's substituting in for, you know, all of the women who wronged that person in their lives or whatever. Maybe maybe she slighted him or something like that. But yeah, definitely. Um, this is serial killer. Like this is a pro serial killer. Like they know what they, what they want to do. It's funny that you say someone or she slighted somebody or somebody viewed it as her slighting them, which Mm. is a big proponent to one of the main suspects actually. So it's interesting you brought that up, but we'll, uh, we'll get to them later on here. So even weirder beyond just the, insane nature of how her body was found her body was completely devoid of any blood her body had been washed prior to being placed in this location which means she was killed elsewhere her body was cut up and then brought to this location it's widely believed that she had been dead about 10 hours prior to her body being found in the spot uh, near the body was a heel print and a bloody cement bag that is believed to be what her body was actually transported in. When they ran her fingerprints, they quickly came bo- came back belonging to Elizabeth Short because she was in the database for being arrested for drinking underage, and she was in the database for having the job at the uh, military base. Yeah, when they uh, for the government job. Yeah. So they knew probably pretty security qu- background of some kind. They knew pretty quickly uh, who who it was. Um, you want to know something fucked up, Phil? This is what's that? This feels like so American. Honestly, her sister wouldn't even learn that her Elizabeth was dead until the newspaper tracked her down asking for interviews. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely journalism at the time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I it's... I swear we've heard shit like that before. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, even uh, nowadays with tabloids and shit, we'll do that. They'll do they'll do the kind of thing where they hack into people like family members' phones and shit and try and do that, or they you know do the thing where they they. They hack into the phone and call, pretending to be like from the from the dead person, that sort of thing. Ah. Um, God, it's. I'm trying to think of. Okay, so Jesus, so had been dead roughly ten hours before her body was found, but I mean back then forensics wasn't great. No. So if she had been drained and prepared of her all of her blood and her body was prepared i wonder if she could have been dead for like longer if that would have screwed up because you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been able to see like okay so someone is killed somewhere and then their body is taken somewhere else and and dropped down you can tell that they they died and when they were on the ground they were laying in a different position because the blood was you know pooled in a different location than where it should have been yeah i wonder maybe Maybe if this would have happened today, they would have been able to figure out like like 
longer, that sort of thing. Because I, mean, I doubt the forensics was that good back then. Because she was missing for eight days. Yeah. So. Yeah. But. So. Yeah. It, if, it, if the body was washed, too, I imagine if they were using for, your, you know, the rate of decay or something, we'd give them the 10-hour estimate. But if her body had been washed, maybe it prevented the bacteria or whatever from starting when it was supposed to. You know what I mean? Yeah, or the kind of uh, bugs and shit yeah. that they look for now, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I have no idea. It's just, I mean, there's such a long time period between no one ever saw her again and when they found her, that sort yeah. of situation. Yeah. I just wonder also, too, forensics of the time, um, if that's kind of like a guess of we think about 10 hours. I'm sure um, it is a guess. Yeah, it's a, it's weird to think that the killer went to all that trouble and then just left the bag on the ground too. That's a little weird. Well, I mean, it's not like they had DNA or anything. Yeah. It's just, they went to so much effort with everything else. And then when they were done, they were just done. Right. You know, Yeah. but maybe that's the thing is, you know, onto the, you know, just kind of like getting out of there as quick as they can once they, they set it all up. But I don't know about it's, it's a little weird. Um, the whole thing is obviously, well, obviously it's this famous, the whole thing's fucking insane, Yeah, but it gets even weirder. Um, when, uh, the new, when basically the killer starts talking to the newspaper, um, <laughs> which serial or well, I, we don't know if this is a serial killer or not or what it, it's a single off. I, we don't really know, but, uh, this guy definitely likes to taunt the, the police, I should say. Okay, I'm learning pretty quickly that I know nothing about the case. Aha, so okay. all that I know, it was a dead woman found in Hollywood and famous enough that it kind of had this name. Yeah. So For the time period, the whole thing is just wild. So I can see why it kind of got so much publicity. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, once the media got their hands on the story of the murder with the... Uh, what they would do at the time, they started to kind of make up all their own reasons on why Elizabeth had been killed. Uh, they leaned pretty hard into making Elizabeth seem like some sort of sexual deviant. Um, apparently, one article read, quote, The victim knew at least 50 men at the time of her death, and at least 25 men had been seen with her in the last 60 days preceding her death. She was known as a teaser of men. Uh, there's also, as I mentioned, a lot of this talk about a quote-unquote Hollywood hopeful Scarlet being cut down. I think this is kind of where the aspiring actress thing kind of comes in. And this is why they labeled her the Black Dahlia. Because we don't even know if this is true or not. But allegedly, uh, Elizabeth Short was a little bit of a early day goth girl because apparently she loved wearing black cl black clothing and at the time a new movie had just been released called Blue Dahlia the media combined her love for black clothing allegedly and this new movie Blue Dahlia created the Black Dahlia so it sounds like a whole we didn't say it before sounds like a whole lot of yellow journalism yeah they're all yeah uh very much just trying to sell papers off of this story so when that happens, a lot of speculation, especially when there's very little facts about something, then it's ripe with speculation. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. More and more torrid. 
basically. I think yeah. this is where the prostitution angle came in hard as well. Like, oh, she must have been a prostitute who got killed. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, it's, I mean, anything to sell papers, really. Also, there's such little facts. You can just kind of speculate on anything. I mean, already in this, we've kind of speculated a couple of things, you know, yeah. about different people, about, you know, relationships, that sort of thing. It's kind of easy when you really know, like, not a lot about a person. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I know this whole story and I'm still <laughs> still, still speculating. speculating. Yeah, <laughs> just because it's so bizarre. Now, about a week later, a week after the murder, uh, there was a very interesting twist in the case. On January 21st, the Los Angeles Examiner received a phone call from someone claiming that they were the murderer of Elizabeth and that they would be sending some of her belongings to prove it. About three days later, on January 24th, the examiner received Elizabeth's birth certificate, photos that she had, business cards that she had, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover. Also, there was some type of like almost ransom note style made out of magazine and new, uh, newspaper clippings. And it said, quote, Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. Here is Dahlia's belongings letter to follow. So whoever sent these items, he knew he needed to get rid of his fingerprints because every single thing, including the letter, had been wiped down with gasoline. So the police could not get a single fingerprint on any of this shit. Gotcha. Is there, I mean, I suppose we'll be talking about it later. Uh, is there, is it proven that these items actually belong to her? I mean, I didn't really find that, but if, okay. if I, w- I'm, I'm just going out on a limb here and assuming at the time people would carry their birth certificate with them on their person because they will find the purse uh, a few miles from the murder scene, like, you know, a few weeks down the road. So they did find her purse. I'm assuming this shit was in her purse. Okay, gotcha. Like when she was murdered, you know. So this actually could have been the killer doing this. Because in my yeah. mind, this is just someone trying to get a little bit of, uh, you know, like for their own personal kind of entertainment, like tricking people or trying to get some fame or something. Feeling like they're famous. Yeah. Reading about what something they did in the newspaper. What's, you know. what's interesting you say that is after this initial one, then there was just like countless numbers of copycats. A storm. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> exactly. But they're pretty certain this is the guy because um, I think it was Robert Red. He kind of helped identify some of her belongings as well. So, you know, because he was the last one with her. So... For what that's worth. He's got to be sweating his balls off. <laughs> <laughs> Just knowing that they're probably thinking, yeah, it was probably him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You can about guess he's the number one suspect. Oh, definitely. Well, anytime, anytime someone's killed now, like the police automatically are like, who was the last person they were seen with and who are they fucking? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's always like you hear it all time on small town murder cops are always trying to figure out who are they fucking yeah like who are they fucking that they shouldn't be fucking 
that sort of thing is the big one too. So. Yeah. So let's just go based off the assumption the initial um, items they received are uh, Elizabeth. Especially be weird if it was a copycat guy to carefully destroy any evidence on it when they sent it as well. You know what I mean? It seems like something that's above and beyond what just a hoaxer would do. Okay, gotcha. To me, to me personally. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's one of those things, too, where people hear about, like, certain things to do, you know? Yeah, From, that's like, the true, true crime shit. That so maybe true. maybe he had heard, like, in a <laughs> in one of those, like, uh, Pulp Fiction books or something, like, uh, an investigator was, you know, investigating a crime and but the cr- the criminal you know doused the evidence in gasoline so you'd have no idea who it was or something like that but um, what, what possibly if, what if her pictures were of her like her and other oh. people or something yeah then definitely they raided her purse after they dumped the body yeah. so yeah if it was if it was proven that all the shit was hers then yeah definitely yeah we got to remember how bad forensics was back then so we kind of yes. just got to kind of go with the least drunk police officer investing in this case. <laughs> <laughs> Who also abandoned his family out east and moved to California yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> I, the Irish goodbye was quite popular back then. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, two days after this, on January 26th, they received another letter. It contained a handwritten note that said, quote, here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29, 10 a.m., had my fun at the police station, Black Dahlia Avenger. It included an address that the police were supposed to go to at a designated time. When the police went there, of course, nobody showed up. After this time passed, another letter showed up that said, quote, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. Now, as time progressed, you know, they're searching for everybody they can. They interviewed over 150 potential suspects. There would be over 60 people at the time who confessed to murdering Elizabeth Short. But obviously, (laughs) you can't just confess and then have zero connection to the actual murder (laughs) itself. So uh, obviously, that didn't work out. But the real question we want to answer here, and I've collected what I believe to be four of the most likely suspects that I have found, and I will be curious how you feel about said subjects. Okay. Yeah, I want to say first, though, of the 60 people who confessed to murdering Elizabeth Short, um, it's kind of like what we said, people trying to find fame. It's amazing that they would be willing to spend time just to get their name in the paper. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I killed the Black Dahlia. Where are you from? Topeka. Where are you now? (laughs) Topeka. (laughs) (laughs) We have no evidence that you've ever left in the midwest yeah so no it wasn't you (laughs) i mean cops will give you a beating behind the fucking jail just for being an asshole it's just like uh you know last podcast on the left always memes when people say why true crime now it's right here this is the 40s and people are acting the exact same way they do in modern time oh yeah well it's it's always it's always been kind of a big thing Um, yeah yeah god it's 
it's just the whole rise of the serial killer kind of like elevated it for this time. Um, I don't know, but like we always talk about like what's handy killing, like when the mur- with murders back then it was an ax because everyone had an ax back then kind of yeah. deal. Yeah. You know, we don't even know what weapon was killed her. We just know that the cuts on her were extremely precise. So mm. I forgot to mention that. So uh, everybody keep that in mind that the cuts, they said, quote, the cuts have such minimal bruising, meaning someone knew how to cut this person, like almost surgically. Barber butcher, do- <laughs> Barber butcher doctor. Yeah, one uh, of those three yeah. right there. Barber butcher daughter <laughs> is a little <laughs> a daughter. Yeah, it was a daughter. Yeah, yeah. doctor. <laughs> kind doctor. of a Whitechapel situation. <laughs> All right, now let's start off with the, I guess, most obvious candidate as we kind of mentioned here. Uh, Robert Red Manley was the last one to see her alive. The police would naturally question him, but Red not only had a solid alibi for when Elizabeth disappeared, he also passed two lie detector tests, which at the time was viewed as extremely credible. Um, His alibi, okay, get this, Phil, it was that himself, his wife Harriet, and another couple were playing cards on the night of Elizabeth's disappearance. So that means... After their hotel hangout, <laughs> he went yep. and played cards with his wife and another couple the rest of the night. So he, we had curd, we had curd club that yeah. night. So I had to drive back from fucking my girlfriend in <laughs> Los Angeles to San Diego. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine this guy? His wife probably has zero idea he was hanging out with this now murdered woman, and he just came home and played cards like it was just any old fucking day. <laughs> God, uh, but here. So go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. So the night they're they're talking about the night that she disappeared, as yeah. in right after he dropped her off at the hotel and hung out with her for a little bit, left the hotel. He gets home and plays cards with his wife and their friends. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. well, maybe I'll after this. Yeah. So I have probe question. I will say, I'm going to finish a little segment on him here. There is some people who think maybe Robert and his wife disposed of her. But um, obviously, there's zero evidence of that, okay? That's just a wild theory. Some people propose maybe Harriet found they were cheating and then they both took him out. But it seems like a pretty um, grisly murder for a pregnant woman who's just mad her husband's having an affair you know what i mean yes yeah so but here is something that might make you think a little bit about old red he was discharged from the army for having severe nervous breakdowns which we know now is probably just ptsd um after he was discharged He continuously had these mental breakdowns, which included auditory hallucinations. Eventually, he would be committed to Patton State Hospital by his wife in 1954. Okay, yeah. Could he have Um, went a little crazy 
and did this. Yeah, it kind of, well, you mentioned, um, going back to what you said just right before this, um, you mentioned that some people believe Harriet may have helped him. So it might have been the situation where um, she's staying at this hotel. Obviously, um, she didn't stay there overnight. I didn't hear you say anything about like the room was checked out for 10 days straight, like paid in advance or anything. So um, I'm wondering if maybe she was the one who made the phone calls. He kind of put her out in the trunk and then um, they they took her home or something like that. Uh, it's one of those situations because apparently they were saying a woman was heard making phone calls or a woman made phone calls, you know, after he left. OK, um, I should also I oh, let, me, what's that? let me clarify one thing here about the phone calls. OK, according to sources, the the desk attendant at the hotel saw her making phone calls as well. So it's not just red. Oh, these weren't these weren't phone calls from the room. No, 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 this no. This no. was like in the oh, lobby. Okay. Sorry, these sorry, were sorry. this was old style, like you know, the hotel yeah. phones. Yeah. The... Gotcha. Okay, never mind about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's different. My understanding. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a hotel room phone. Oh uh, so. no, I don't even know if they gotcha. had them in the forties. Did they? Maybe they did. I don't know. Um, I don't know the. From both, basically what I was reading, her and Red came down. She started making all these calls. He left, and then she went outside, and then just nobody ever saw her again. Okay, gotcha. Um, ooh, yeah. So yeah. that if he actually, if if he really did weave, and he has good alibis for him going home and not being anywhere, you know what I mean? Like it's not like he met back up with her. Like there's kind of, you know, cause there's like a 10 day period. Does he have alibis for that entire time? I, I don't know. It took, it took okay. me a while to find simply the alibi saying that he was playing cards with his wife. I had a search yeah, his, quite a few pages there. Okay. His wife and some uh, friend couple yeah. of theirs. Yeah. So I'm guessing that the alibi, if he didn't, you know, the alibis must have went with all three people, his wife and his the friends. Yeah, yeah. I would assume because so. they obviously would have interviewed them too. Yeah, yeah. That's my assumption that the friends and the wife kind of covered for him. Yeah. Also, this time, lots of untreated PTSD. Oh, shit! Yeah. Tons of it. Yeah. Mil like there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who were traumatized uh, by the war, just not even just, just Americans. You're talking about entire nations who, you know, their home country was the battlefield and they went yeah. through some shit. Oh, so yeah. lots of PTSD yeah. back then to go around. Um, yeah. They didn't even know what to call it back then or, you know, shell shock, that sort of shit. Um, but yeah, definitely. I don't know. It's not, the thing is that's, you can't just hear that and say, oh, he definitely, you know, must have went crazy and killed her because there's a like like uh, his wife didn't put him in the hospital till 1954. So it's not like, you know, he had severe fucking PTSD like at this time, like right at the end of the war. It's kind of a, you know, so I will it's a progression thing, maybe. So I will say this, that I would say out of the next remaining three people. Red is the least likely. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That's what I so, would say. So I will say 
yeah, if he has alibis for what he was doing afterwards, then he's just the unlucky bastard who was with her last. Yeah, kind of situation. Yeah, that yeah, would, yeah that would be my guess. He, even though he's suspicious, I don't think the. I think the key to this, to me personally, is the brutality of her murder. That a scorned lover, I don't really see it. You know, see him yeah. doing this much damage to a body. Unless they set her up for it, it's, yeah, for someone else, then yeah. definitely no. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to the next uh, suspect here. As mentioned, the book, the dress book that was sent by the killer to the examiner had the name Mark Hansen on it. Now, you're probably wondering who the fuck is Mark Hansen. Well, Mark Hansen was the owner of the nightclub that uh, Elizabeth lived behind. Elizabeth was documented, as I mentioned, being friends with Hanson's girlfriend, and Hanson even admitted to trying to put the moves on Elizabeth. Some people even claim that Mark Hanson was sexually fixated on Elizabeth, almost obsessive, but she always pushed back on his advances. Now, some sources try to link Mark Hanson to organize crime hint perhaps that maybe Elizabeth was involved with either gangsters or like something like that. But we have to say Mark Hansen was never convicted of any crimes in his life. And there's no evidence directly linking him to organized crime nor to the murder itself. But it's, we're going to speculate about kind of a relationship between Mark Hansen and the next suspect we're going to talk about, maybe Mark Hansen was connected to organized crime and hired the guy we'll talk about next to kill her. How do you... So the sexual fixation on Elizabeth and him being mad that she kept turning him down does kind of make me wonder a little bit. Yeah, it's... um, If he was involved with organized crime, definitely... Uh, they had people who, you know, knew their craft sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sending a message maybe, but it's, I mean, back then, if you were kind of involved in, you know, that kind of life, the nightlife, the, you know, drinking establishments, nightclubs, strip clubs, you were kind of assumed to be a shady individual, you know, involved in organized crime, uh, in some way or another. So, um, I mean, he was never convicted of any crimes in his life. Those types of guys are always, at least they have, you know, some petty crimes in the beginning, or they're kind of, um, known affiliates with organized criminals. Yeah. You don't, you're not involved with organized crime and don't at least get on the radar of cops, you know, like cops keep a pretty, they're pretty good at, you know putting the strings together of like who known criminals or people who might be criminals, like hang out with that sort of thing. Yeah. You're, yeah. You get, you, you know, you get caught on wiretaps. Let's just say, you know, <laughs> very true. So initially your feeling is the Mark Hansen angle isn't working too well. I mean, it's proximity. It's, I don't know. The weird thing is like 
the book had Mark Hansen's name on it. Um, if it was the person who actually did it and realized that this murder was getting to be bigger than anything they thought it would be, maybe they kind of were throwing some bait at the cops for a different person. That sort of situation. That definitely could um, be. Yeah, it's just, uh, was it his book? Why was his name on the front cover? It's a little weird. The address book with his name on the cover. The only thing I could think of is because maybe his club had address books or it was his address book he gave to her or, you know, if they were friends or if she was friends with his girlfriend, maybe, you know, maybe it was his, he didn't need it and gave it to her. You know, that thing could happen. He got a new one and then gave her his old one. That sort yeah. of situation. Yeah. People with money who are friends with people who don't have money kind yeah. of hand me down type, yeah. type shit. That could be it. Yeah, I suppose. That was it's, my guess. Okay. Yeah. It just, it's one of those deals where it just happened to be, you know, they're in proximity enough with each other. And now he's in suspicion, that sort of thing. Right. Now yeah. I want to go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, too, the sexually fixated thing. I'm guessing that there was a lot of dudes who were sexually fixated on her, kind of like in her orbit. Yeah. So yeah. that's not totally weird. It's, you know. But what you I remember what you were saying about the body, like somebody was really mad at her. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this guy was a psycho and he was really mad at her and completely just destroyed her body in a fit of rage. Yeah. I mean, but... You would assume this guy would have more of a record if he was this violent of a person. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Those guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're just looking at, you know, serial killer kind of psychology a little bit. They never are completely off the radar. There's no, always, no, 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 you know, unless they are, unless they have 100%, you know, hone their fucking craft and they can just completely... They're a ghost. This guy's basically a public figure. He's an owner of a nightclub, that sort of thing. He knows people like and serial killers don't usually kill people who are close to them. It's, you know, like randoms. It's people who have, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of separation between like them and their victims. It's not usually someone who they knew very well. So, yeah, yeah. That is very true. Well, the next guy I'm going to tell you about, apparently this guy was found or is, um, how would you say it? Like presented as a main suspect by an author that wrote a book relatively recently. And I think he actually had some comments from police officers who worked this case. So this guy is... Very interesting in the case, as long as the author is telling the complete truth about it. Okay. Yeah. And also not stretching things. Yeah. Yeah. It it also has been a very long too. Yeah. So, yeah, I will. I'll tell you where the split is, where I think we don't know if this part is true. Okay. Um, The first part were positive pretty positive is true it's the second part that i'm kind of weary on all right but we'll i'll let you know when i get there okay so the next suspect was a 27 year old bellhop named leslie dylan an important aspect about leslie is he used to work as a mortician's assistant before becoming a bellhop okay very important okay yeah now 
One thing that sticks out about Leslie is that he tried to insert himself into the investigation by contacting the LAPD psychiatrist, Dr. J. Paul DeRiver, and giving him his theories on the case, which included information that was withheld from the public, such as Elizabeth had a rose tattoo on her thigh that had been cut off and jammed into her vagina. This was not released to the public, okay? Very important. Leslie also told Dr. J that he had an immense interest in sadism and sexual violence committed by criminals, but he was only interested because he was an aspiring author and he wanted some expert advice on these criminals. Now, this is the Okay. Po- yeah, yeah, okay. Now, <laughs> fuck. This, this is the book here. In 2017, a British author named... P. Eatwell, I think that's how you say it, he kind of put together all this stuff about Leslie, which included, allegedly, on the morning of January 15th, 1947, the owner of the Astor Motel, Henry Hoffman, had gone into Leslie Dillon's room that he was staying at and found the room was covered in, quote, blood and fecal matter, He also found a bundle of bloody woman's clothing in a brown paper bag. According to Henry Hoffman, the reason that he did not report this to the police was because just four days prior, he had been arrested for beating his wife and he did not want any more trouble with the law. Um, Leslie was indeed interviewed by the police, but there was no evidence to connect him to the murder. So the part about the hotel is the one where I'm kind of wondering if that is real or not. Did he burn? You can't clean a room like that. Did he burn down the hotel? (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know that. So the first part of that, okay, to me is like, the kid, the the perpetrator 101 when they're like yes. trying to get in the case they're saying information that nobody else should know except for the killer you know or the police yeah it's a little fishy it's, yeah the problem okay so i have problem with the whole thing okay um <laughs> here's the thing so at any moment that henry hoffman divulges to where this pew guy could find out about um this guy having blood fecal matter and women's clothing all around the room and telling the psychologist that he knew about some stuff that you know people didn't know about any moment that this henry hoffman guy like gives up that information immediately everyone on earth is gonna think that leslie dylan is the guy behind it that sort of thing like when did harry hoffman henry hoffman actually like like divulge this information to where this pew guy would figure it out. That's kind of what I'm wondering right yeah, now. Yeah, I um, that I'm not sure. Also, there is um it's you have so many pings in just all these statements. Like, you know, this 27-year-old bellhop, former 
like worked as a mortician's assistant. Like that's a ping. Uh, contacted the investigation, big ping, tried to get himself involved, um, and then divulging information, and then just claiming that um, he just had an interest in, in the sadism and sexual violence because he wanted to become an aspiring author, like author, trying not to, you know, involve himself, but totally involving himself. <laughs> That's all very big, like pings yeah. to where immediately yeah. you're convinced that it's this dude. Because as I was listening to this, and it was just like, oh, there it is, right there. Yeah, just, yeah. All the bullet points are getting yeah. hit perfect. So I'm more. Uh, Here's the I thing. Don't know about this guy. Here's the thing, though. If this is true, the book yeah. came out in 2017. More than likely, all these people are dead. Um, yep. So there's nobody to arrest. Their kids are dead too. Yeah. It's <laughs> so. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Like, if he was interviewed by the police. And let's just say this hotel manager found this stuff. Um, there is no there. And he destroyed the evidence or whatever he did with threw it away. There's like no evidence linking Leslie to the crime. Yeah. I mean, did he, he, that Henry guy must've cleaned out the room then or something, but I, with all of the, with all the information, with all, uh, what's the hype surrounding this case? I don't know what to call it. Um, it was like the biggest story in the city when, you know, more and more the re the yellow journalism, the uh, everything every day, the stakes were like everything was getting upped about this case. If anyone who helped him clean out that room would have they would have immediately, you know, started talking. Then it kind of would have came back around that sort of thing. Uh, you couldn't just cover. You couldn't do that yourself. I doubt you couldn't cover it up. Um, God, it. Yeah, it's it's too perfect, and I wonder about like where they got their information from. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, here's the other thing: the author kind of speculates, okay, that Leslie Dillon was hired by Mark Hansen to do this. Um, apparently, it was kind of a not unheard of thing that someone attached to organized crime more like a henchman or something will get a job as a bellboy at hotels to learn where the jewels and cash were and then they'd make it easy to rob uh such establishment here so it's kind of speculating that he only was a bellboy to help with robberies and maybe he either agreed to kill her or maybe Elizabeth was messed up with gang members of some kind. Then they killed her. I, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I just, it seems like a lot of like tape you have to attach together to make it work. Yeah. The problem is if, okay. So if this, uh, Leslie Dillon guy was involved in any way with organized crime and the killing of this this person and then all of a sudden he starts talking to cops you're going to immediately hear about leslie dillon being found dead like they're not going to just let you go ahead and you know insert yourself in the investigation and shit like out of t like out of town guys that sort of thing you know yeah yeah that is true but maybe i'm maybe i'm making this into a movie in my <laughs> kind of situation but which everyone does apparently but i just don't know it's if even without the cherry on top of the blood and fecal spattered room, like even without all of that, just the Sunday, 
you're going to believe, like everyone's going to believe that it was Leslie Dillon. There'd be no doubt in your mind kind of situation. Right, right. If all of the other stuff was, even if, even if just the first half of that was total truth, like everyone would believe it was Leslie Dillon. You know what I mean? Or yeah. he was at least involved with it. It right. wouldn't go on unknown, untalked about for how many fucking decades? It's six decades or so. You know, like it's it's just so much. I when, one thing I think is weird about this case is if you start searching for the Black Dahlia, you the FBI literally has their own web page about this case, like their details about it. It's kind of strange. I've never seen that before. Did Leslie Dillon show up in the FBI's no, 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 no. website? <laughs> no, they don't. They give just the facts. That's it. No suspects, okay. no nothing. Just what happened when her body was found, all that. Yeah, if, if, if someone would have contacted the LAPD with all of that, it would have made it into the, the report. Let's, yeah, so. Apparently. But, it, but if it is true, then definitely it's he's in the top, you know, that rises to the top. So there was a lot of sites that say that the, the LAPD will not allow anybody even in modern time to see the case files or anything with this. It's completely sealed away. Oh, okay. So I don't know why after, I don't know if there's a statute of limitations on, this is fucking 70 years ago at this point. Like, you know, why would they keep hiding it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm pretty sure even the, like the JFK stuff has opened up. Yeah. In that t- you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, like the Fred Hampton stuff that opened up. So I don't know. Yeah, that's it's a long time just for I mean, unless the cops were involved with it, you know, <laughs> like yeah, know. there was a lot of corruption. So you never know. That is true. Yeah. yeah. You never know. Well, let's talk about the last guy. OK, so right. this last guy, um, he I, I just want everybody to keep in mind, he was a, a guy who was uh, interviewed initially after the murder, but it was kind of his son who brought his dad to light as a possible murderer of this girl, okay? So, his name is Dr. George Hodel. Now, George, at the time, he was considered to be very brilliant, very brilliant doctor, and for the time, extremely wealthy. He liked to dabble in what I like to call rich people activities, which were high society sex parties around Los Angeles. In ni- Eyes wide shut shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in 1949, George was accused by his 14-year-old daughter, Tamar, of molesting her. As, people, as rich people are wont to do, George's legal team went hard into discrediting Tamar as nothing more than an attention seeker and where he was acquitted. Now, where George gets connected to Elizabeth is, according to several witnesses, both George and Elizabeth had romantic trysts. Now, these romantic things apparently also included Elizabeth being at these high society sex parties, which is not confirmed, but it's apparently witnesses saw her there. And from the cuts on her body, like I said, were done in a very precise manner. 
and George did surgeries. I can't remember what exactly when he did, but basically where her spine was severed so she would be split in two is something that like only a doctor would know to cut there. Okay. Okay. So that's where they're linking this guy. Now, apparently he was such a viable suspect back then. They actually put a bug inside of his house in 1950 and they have Mm. him on tape saying this quote, supposing I did kill the black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out, killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. So he is saying this, and he's not even aware they're recording him, okay? Yeah. Now, now that same year, George decided, I'm going to just go ahead and move to Hawaii, started a whole new family, and then he moved to the Philippines after that. But the police had zero evidence to arrest him anyway. And the story with Dr. George Hodel gets even deeper following his death in 1999. After he died, his son, Steve Hodel, who is a former LAPD detective, was going through his dad's stuff. He found a photo album that he had never seen before, and he discovered a few pictures of a woman that looked strikingly like Elizabeth Short. So how do you feel about old Dr. George Hodel? Feeling pretty good about uh, George Hodel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's a that's a pretty big one. Uh professional, you know, a surgeon who uh, definitely had the know-how to do kind of what was what was done to Elizabeth. Um yeah, and the the pictures that came out after his death um also kind of like the OJ supposing I supposing I did it. Yeah, supposing if I, I did, did it. if I did it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and his secretary was also found dead too. The is the bug and the recording. Um, was that actually is that actually confirmed as kind of like evidence? Yeah, as far as I can see, it's confirmed as evidence. Okay, yeah. Then I feel pretty good about this. Is definitely this is definitely what we end this on because I'm. <laughs> yeah, it's looking pretty good like him. Uh, yeah, Hollywood sex parties. She possibly. She was at least dabbling in high society, if not she being a sex worker, that sort of thing. So, um, I'm not saying she's a sex worker, but you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's a- people who saw her at these parties, supposedly. Yeah. Um, he yeah. definitely is proven to be at these parties. Sounds like he was a bit of a connoisseur. Um, history of sexual violence. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of. A lot of good traction on this one. The guy before this, a lot of speculation. Uh, this guy, it sounds like there's a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. So. And the fact that basically after his court case was settled with his daughter, um, he just fucking, he's like, hey, I'm going to go to Hawaii and then I'm going to go to the Philippines. Oh, like, what? Hawaii became a state? Well, I'm going to the Philippines yeah. now. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> But it's weird because you can't, I couldn't see the photos that the, uh, his son found, but he said there was like photos and one of them looked a lot like her. So 
I, I don't... I, the reason why he killed her, I guess, if he did, we have no idea. But from the precision cuts on her and how to clean the body and all this shit, like, it seems like a professional. Yeah. Um, that's... This is a this is a pretty good one. Um, I don't. And if they did have that relationship, um, then you know, like we said, kind of, you know, uh, it's some it's either someone who knew her or God. I don't know how. Um, trying to think how. So basically, she's never seen from again after she leaves that hotel. Yeah. Um, she made a phone call, so maybe, um, she was meeting up with him, that sort of situation. And then, you know, there was 10 days for him to do what he wanted, like whatever, even if he didn't kill her on the first day and, you know, do all his stuff, he had 10 days to do what he liked and then dumped the body. That's, you know, um, if he's rich, he's got, he can easily rent a place or he has places where he could do, you know, whatever he was wanting to do so he has resources i'm saying it's not like he's the whole it's not like he's the hotel bellhop who's in his in his you know servants quarters cutting up a woman and then leaving the mess you know what i mean that sort of situation um yeah i'm sure here's the other thing i was thinking like this guy could probably pay off a lot of people during especially during this time to like if he can just get up and move to the philippines He's got some money. I'm just <laughs> like he just yeah. he just left and started a new family. Um, and now I'm not saying, you know, with his son that, you know, every police officers, you can trust them. They wouldn't make shit up. But it seems weird that all of a sudden he's an old man and a retired old police officer finds his dad's stuff. And he's like. This is weird because this looks like the fucking Elizabeth Short. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he's probably heard all of his life's like all of his life. He's probably heard rumors that uh, like, hey, you know, your pop probably killed the black dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That sort of shit. You yeah. know, there's probably always been speculation. And then he goes to the pictures and finds exactly what he thought he might find. That sort of thing. The thing, so. the thing that I think is weird about, like, the thing with the secretary. When you read through all the articles about George and everything, it's just basically connecting, like, the smaller links to Elizabeth. I couldn't find nothing about a secretary or any mm. of that, but it was on the recording, so something must have happened with this secretary. Yeah, or she found something out, or yeah, now she's dead, or. Or she knew that they had a relationship prior to, you know, Elizabeth's death and that sort of situation. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. This is this is the best one so far, obviously. Um, if everything is, you know, it sounds like um, the speculation is that the woman in those photos is Elizabeth um, in 1999. The ones that he found, the old pictures. Yeah. Um, also, just being a doctor doesn't mean it definitely was him. But just like I said, butcher, barber, kind of doctor, doctor situation. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, definitely would be the type of person you would think. Kind of like how I mentioned, you know, Whitechapel. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. think that, um, what's his fucking name? Jack the Ripper. 
Jack the Ripper. Now I I had his name in my head. Now we, a lot of people think Jack the Ripper was like someone very good with a blade, like a like a doctor yeah. or you know yeah yeah butcher barber doctor situation. Let me, let me say one more, and in case anybody emails us about it, um, there is connections to this murder called the Red Lipstick Murder, and the, it was a woman who got murdered. In a sort of similar fashion, not quite as brutal as Elizabeth Short around the same year. And in Red Lipstick, he wrote, people think it said, fuck you, BD is in Black Dahlia. But I think when I looked at it, almost like people are like, no, I think it's fuck off PD as in police department. So Mm. I don't, some people think maybe it's the same guy, but I, I don't know. I don't. I think that guy literally said "fuck off, police department," and then killed this woman. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it would be interesting to kind of look into murders that happened around like Hawaii and then happened in the Philippines um, afterwards, like like while he was there, that sort of situation. Well, okay, um, to see if there was any like close ones too that kind of like match it a little bit. I mean, okay, the Philippines. Just after World War II, I imagine it they're pro like it was probably in shambles, right? A little bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He could probably kill people and nobody'd <laughs> even notice. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's um. Well, I mean, it's not like they're gonna just see a a dead body, you know, nearly cut in half or you know yeah. severed limbs, something like that, and then just not say shit. Yeah, but probably the reporting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, someone who does this kind of crime, someone who does this, it's not their first time and it's probably not their last time. No, no. Unless they get caught for something else, get thrown in jail and they never get linked to it. That sort of thing. I mean, it, I, you know, it's entirely possible. It's none of these people. Uh, we'll just never know. Maybe it was just some random killer. We don't really know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, those are kind of the I. If you search Black Dahlia suspects, there's a list of like 15 of them, and I yep. would say these four, to me, have the closest link to the murder itself. So, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, you, there's plenty of people you can read about. But I think these four are kind of like the best possible candidates. Yeah, I definitely. So I don't. I mean, just kind of in my mind. With everything, she hadn't been seen for 10 days, found in this state. I definitely don't think it's a traveling serial killer situation. Because you definitely need a place to do this and kind of, uh, you know, I mean, the person may have left fucking town, obviously. But situation is, um, you kind of need to know the area too, to know like where to do this, where to dump the body, that sort of situation. I don't think it's like a traveling person. And no. the person very much wanted the body to be Displayed. found. You yeah. like no a lot of the bodies are are found kind of like, you know, off the beaten path that are pre- even the ones that are like presented are found by like uh people on hikes, hunters, fishermen, that sort of thing. Um not just kind of inside of a major city like just in a an open area. That sort of situ- you know, that sort of deal. Yeah. But yeah, it is a crazy case. Oh, very much. I think 
if we had modern day forensic back then, they definitely without a doubt would have found out who this is. But uh, unfortunately, due to the time period, it just it was kind of hard to figure out something like this. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. But anyway, Phil, we've been going for a hell of a long time here. So if anybody yeah. wants to give us their two cents about the Black Dahlia, where can they contact us? Well, they can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear any theories you might have, theories you might have heard of, you know, speculation. Are we full of shit? Are we speculating too much? We want to hear it all. Uh, even better way to get a hold of us. And is on our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Same thing. Uh, we love all the likes, the shares, the comments. Keep them coming. Messages are great. Uh, Cody also has his own Instagram account. What is that, Cody? You can follow me at Cody Subub. Give me a follow. Send me a message. Send me a funny video. Whatever you'd like to do. Uh, the last thing we ask you guys to do is to log on to iTunes. Leave a show a five-star review. doesn't particularly matter what you say. Type in... Uh, your number one Black Dahlia suspect and hit submit. Just please make sure it's five stars. Thank you to everyone who's taking time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even simpler. Hit five stars, hit submit, and you're done. And if you listen on anything else, just leave a review. Any review, anywhere you got it, we greatly appreciate it. Well, guys, I hope you uh, enjoyed a little walk down uh, true crime memory lane, I guess. I don't know. I hope... Maybe you heard some information you've never heard before because that's what we like to do here. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.